Hi guys, it's Annie McDonald, physio and strength conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I am welcoming back Dan Howes, a highly experienced strength conditioning coach and the founder of Collaborate Sports. The motivation to get Dan back on the podcast today is for us to discuss the grey area that seemingly exists between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning domains. And as you'll hear, this is an area myself and Dan are trying to influence by providing mentorship to practitioners on through our Collaborate Sports Rehab Simplified Pathway. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode today. This episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy-to-use system, the Force Frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the Force Frame, visit our sponsor, VolPerformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Annie McDonald, and here is today's guest, Dan Howes. So Dan, this is the, uh, this is the third time you've been on the show, mate, so welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So obviously the first time you came on the show, you were, you were living in America and you were working at the Astros at the time. And then last time, which I think was in April that we spoke, um, you came on uh, with Collaborate Sports in existence. And um, the, the main kind of topic we spoke about then was career periodization. Collaborate Sports has obviously grown in, in both members and its offerings since. But what, what's the latest with you? Can you kind of, I, I think your background can probably be really yeah. short, given that this is the <laughs> third episode, but give us a bit of an update, mate. Yeah, so still still working in in pro sport, but more in a consultancy role um, to both teams, but also practitioners within teams, which really fits the collaborate sports space in the sense of uh, practitioner mentorship. So that's that's going really well, and I'm still lecturing part time at university. But yeah, the passion at the moment uh, is really driven towards helping coaches coaching coaches and them helping their athletes so i haven't got the front facing action with the athletes as much these days uh, definitely not full-time but um that's because of the the passion project and what I'm, I'm doing in terms of the collaborate sports projects and you know for full for full transparency for the listeners we are, are both releasing a, a pathway on collaborate um called Re- rehab simplified so the kind of purpose, I guess, for the listeners for why we're chatting again is uh, for us to talk about rehab, obviously tell people what we're doing with this um, this pathway um, and, and sort of how we can help hopefully steer uh, rehab professionals, strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists who are involved in rehab processes. Um, just to kind of kick us off, because whilst I'm going to chime in more than I normally do in, uh, in our traditional episodes today, which is terrifying for me. Um, Let's kind of kick off at least with a question for you. Um, what are kind of some typical challenges or questions that maybe you've fielded on rehab? Because obviously you, you've got your ear closely to the ground with um, various practitioners. I'm just wondering if there's any common themes that you've picked up on that, that relate to rehab. Yeah, 100%. And appreciate you taking some questions from me today as well on this, because I think it's really important to get both sides of the coin and, and from our, our respective industries. But I think the biggest thing that I'm noticing and the reason that we're going down this route is to try and provide some real world 
solutions for practitioners because unfortunately people both on the physio end and the snc end are really focusing their energy and resources into their specific discipline which is probably acute management of injuries or diagnosis and treatment of ailments and and potential modifications within the injury space or before they get to injuries and then the snc are focusing on the fit functioning athletes and then by nature of that are only coming across rehab problems when they've got an injury that comes across their path and that's a it's a really uh it's not a great place to, to to trial things you know it's a really um unfortunate place to be put under pressure and so a lot of the practitioners that come to me and ask for guidance um, advice and personal development that's targeted on the rehab space are individuals that just haven't got experience because um they're they're so good at what they're doing and they you know they're getting uh, coming across injuries with athletes and and haven't got an experience behind them and so we're looking for other people to to help them and and that is the reason why i've called upon you know collaborating with you so that we can bring some real world experience to these practitioners that need some guidance in the rehab space and yeah there's some fantastic courses out there and and pathways that are directed specific to rehabilitation but there are a few jobs out there that are solely rehab orientated in nature but it comes under everybody's uh, responsibility as performance practitioner whether it's snc or, or physio um and i guess that the other big thing is that the, the confusion or the, the lack of confidence in their own abilities just comes from potentially not having really clear principles in that space and that get, goes wider than just rehab i think that's for every practitioner to come back to their clear principles their reason why they're doing things the, the way they're doing them is really important so again another reason that we're putting this pathway together which is a six-month journey of guiding people through rehab principles that they can apply in their environment and I think you know, this is the point I was going to ask you the same question really is is on the flip, what are you seeing from practitioners in terms of the problems that they often face in the rehab space as well? I think from a physio perspective, there's an antiquated notion that, that shouldn't exist that the, the physio or the physical therapist or the rehab professional does the acute management, leads into mid-stage rehab and then hands over to the S&C coach for that last part. And I say antiquated, but it really shouldn't because I think there's there's teams that I can think of or places that I've witnessed years ago that were doing a really good job 10, 15 years ago where you might get, say, a physio and an S&C coach working hand-in-hand, co- co-assessing, co-treating, co-planning, co-intervening yep. throughout the whole phase together. Um, and then you had places that, that did have that kind of production line where you get the the physio feeds into the S&C coach and they do their mm. tasks separately one after the other. But I think even still today, you get places that do a really good job of collaboratively working. Uh, I'm going to try not to use that word too many times in one hour. Um, <laughs> but but then I think you also get teams nowadays that do a really good job or a really bad job. Bad job sounds harsh, but mm. um, you get places that are really collaborative and do that now. And you get places that still have mm. that old fashioned maybe model of one person works before the other. So I think yeah. that's it seems to be a timeless problem that unfortunately still exists um yeah yeah in terms of how people work together on that yeah and i'll I'll say that from my experiences the best practitioners i've collaborated with and worked alongside in a physio sense as a strength conditioning coach myself has been in situations where that individual has a real understanding for the same principles that i have and that along loading spectrums and how 
um, you know, what intensity means to the loading uh, schemes that we're using and what adaptations that's creating for the athletes. Um, and we've been really, really clear on that from the off. And I'm respecting the principles around the acute management. And I'm not trying to put pressure on to be loading too early because I understand healing you know, timeframes, et cetera. And they're equally understanding at the end stage that we've got to intensify work and that we're going to create some residual fatigue, et cetera, et cetera, for the athlete. So that mutual respect is really, really important. And I think that's probably another element that that midpoint, like you say, I hand over is, is because people aren't willing, not aren't willing, but aren't able to take their appreciation of the work that the other practitioner is doing into the realm that that person specializes in and so actually the rehab process is from the moment of injury through to the moment of return to sports in my mind should be a multidisciplinary approach um and i think that's where practitioners are struggling because that's a really hard place to be educated it's a really hard experience to bring to life throughout a qualification or a course um, you can go down these principles, but actually you've got to get experience and, and unfortunately you've got to fail to understand what works really, really well, probably more often than than what works well from successes. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting space. And so I'm excited to try and bring enhanced learning experiences to individuals in this space, really, through, through mentorship and, and human approach and a supportive approach. I, I think what's interesting as well is I don't even think you can – uh, divvy up certain physical qualities or uh, sections i don't think you can say okay um manual therapy is just mine as the rehab professional yeah. because you, if you look at the, the the side of the court uh before an nba game you'll see some strength and conditioning coaches doing very good pnf and stuff like that on yeah. athlete so i think like you can't you can't even box off and say okay pain is mine strength is yours i think mm depending on the setting you're in you're going to find a coach that's probably got better pnf hand skills than sometimes yeah. the rehab professional even though the rehab professional might traditionally p- assume that manual therapy is their bag so i think yeah you can't even 100%. section it off yeah and that's that brings to life the 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 critical element of planning together and it might be that everybody is has a shared decision making process in that rehab journey and actually you know on a given day my ability to help remove pain for example uh using isometric right uh, loading schemes to enable the athlete to then go and do some of the more rehab orientated work might be the right strategy or it might be that the pnf element is something that you know I'll be better suited to maybe just based on constraints and availability of a of a of a member of staff for that athlete. And again, operating in silos is is not useful for the athlete because otherwise they feel like they're being passed along uh, a purpose path, and that's that's not very team orientated, right? It's quite anti performance in nature. So again, going back to successful rehab experiences, it's been this journey where athlete and its surrounding support team have been vested in that individual from the onset and that actually different people can probably provide the same outcome for that athlete and it's just about the right person at the right time and the right decision and the right strategy for that that athlete i think this question probably plugs into this topic as well because obviously with collaborate sports you've got the soft skills mentorship as well um 
I, I do wonder if, uh, and I wonder if you've had this uh, conversation, you know, be anonymous, of course, with um, some of your, uh, your mentees, but do, how do you kind of breed this space of safety where both a strength and conditioning coach, say, and a physio feel safe enough at the team and their, their organization that they can be vulnerable enough to say what they know and don't know critically so that they can have this, you know, egos aside, constructive conversation where they can they can figure out where their their individual skill sets are when it relates to a, a rehab case. Yeah, I think that comes from much like an athlete coach relationship is based on trust. That that comes into the space for practitioner to practitioner relationship as well. Um, I think there's a, a real s- uh, safety within vulnerability when you're consciously and uh, strategically thinking about what you're saying and how it's coming across and so if you're planning a rehab uh, program in front of the athlete and that's the first time you're all sat down talking about it and there's challenging situations going on or uncertainty or that a decision gets changed after that meeting because you want to talk about it behind you know, outside the athlete's uh, vision as such that that's that's not strategically very performance oriented so as practitioners, having that comfort to plan well in advance, and doing it with a with almost a, what we what I've called with with fellow colleagues before the blank canvas, and if we can be really clear about maybe what how we're characterising rehab in terms of stage of progression, that's the shared language. If we've got something that we can share, then within that shared language and, and shared approach and principles, we can debate and challenge the right strategy at the right time to get that adaptation or outcome um and i think that's really important with any organization that has multiple people making multiple decisions or, or contributing to a rehab process that there's real clear frameworks that people can operate within um otherwise we can get a little bit lost on on where we are in the journey and what the priority is and maybe who is the key stakeholder and the key decision maker if the pressure is on um in the environments I worked within, especially with, with any rehab, we had real clarity on whose decision-making um, was of, of a priority at a given phase, but that everybody was involved in that decision-making process to help that person make the right decision. And so if I'm working with you in that acute management stage, and our focus is on restoration as a key principle of our range of motion and joint function and reduce swelling and function, et cetera. Well, if we've got that shared language and I understand what the key aims of that phase are broadly, then I can challenge you to go, well, maybe actually a bit of hydrotherapy would work here from a, a pressure perspective and a reduced swelling. Maybe we can couple some activity with some pull, you know, what, what if we could do that? Would that be useful, do you think, Andy? And just using my words in that way to challenge, to help you make the final decision is a really, really good place to operate. Um, if I come in and I stay, Andy, why are we not why are we not putting the athlete in the pool? You know, it's it's a, it's going to be quite challenging to you as opposed to collaborative and supportive in nature. So, yeah, starting off with clear understanding of roles, who's the key decision maker as such, but that we all operate along a clear framework and, and uh, of operation and what our key, key priorities are is going to be always important to have that that safe space of of conversation and challenge i feel like as well just from a learning and development standpoint regardless of which profession you sort of um 
you, you originate from if you have that conversation you can say well why do you suggest that what you know what what is it you think that would do how do we do that i guess it creates a good relationship of learning as well between two different practitioners or a group of practitioners at the same yeah, time yeah 100 percent. and it's yeah let's not beat around the bush like athletes are not uh, are not silly like they uh, they they know and they can sense if there's friction in any situation and that doesn't breed confidence so being really strategic about how you operate around each other is really, really important, whether or not you have those conversations away from people, challenging conversations. You know, doing that in front of an athlete for the first time is, is not a performance strategy in my mind and not a, a great solution. But just being really aware as a practitioner as well, which we, we often lack self-awareness, many of us, is the difference between saying, you know, I think we should do this is very different to saying, what are your thoughts on doing this? what if we could do this and just slightly tweaking those words could could mean all the difference especially if you've got the athlete in front of you that those words should should, should be chosen over the i think and, and we should be doing this kind of scenario and, and and we go back to observations of failed projects it's, a lot of it comes down to the emotion of an athlete in my mind and the confidence that athlete has in their support team and i've seen it break down where there's miscommunication you know they come out into the gym and you're expecting to do a loading session on their, their lower limb and the person who's managing them from a therapeutic point of view says look they've got an effusion we need to back off but that message comes through the athlete that's not a great place to operate because i'm put on the back foot uh, i'm a little bit butthurt in the situation i thought this was the plan and that just doesn't show the athlete that we're communicating effectively let alone have, uh, are on the same lines when it comes to planning so yeah i mean communication is is underpinning of everything we do for sure i feel like the other parts this as well is you can get these situations where um a practitioner whether that's in the gym or in the training room whatever uh, has you know has their players you know these two players these three players typically report to this person for this um i, I feel like when it's especially a rehab case if you have that uh, cohesive partnership between practitioners that they both plug into the same uh you know input and plan then actually it's less critical who delivers what at certain stages to the athlete if it's clear to the athlete that oh they're on the same team they're both looped in they both know exactly what's going on um they're completely in sync with how they're working with me versus if they're not you can see how this culture of um, oh, this is the person I go to for that. And I, I don't trust that practitioner and I only get treated by this person or trained by that person. Yeah, I think there's, again, a comfort in in having a plan, knowing what needs to be turn, done and trusting that anybody can deliver that. And let's be honest, like when we look at training, it is the management of intensity and volume right and an understanding of how to deliver that it with whatever exercise so for me as a practitioner if i have a main duty to the team and i'm I'm part of this individual's rehab planning i think it shows a greater performance of it or greater operation of a, a performance team if i can ask somebody else to help achieve this training session with this athlete for me equally i've been in environments where the physio has done some of the the rehab running early in the in the rehab process because at that point it's really just about intensity and volume and sets and reps and uh, i i think they're probably best guided to manage the response to that running than i am 
because my natural coaching eye is going to be looking more at technique than understanding their response to it in a, in a pain element um, or a tolerance element. So, yeah, I think we have to be, uh, I think we can be very agile across the stages of rehab. And I don't think we should be so precious to be in silos at certain stages. Um, and how do we achieve that? It is by all practitioners. And I, and I mean technical coaches as well, being invested in that athlete's rehab process from day zero or day one through to return to sport. And I think yeah, we're going off on a different tangent here, but managing the player beyond the injury is really important. We've got to think about the emotional side of things and how that helps with healing and, and recovery as well. And having a coach involved from day one who can still do some you know, ball skills from a rugby point of view with an athlete who can't wait there, these things are all doable. It's just whether we're thinking in that direction and thinking laterally to all the opportunities that can come in rehab as well. And I think that's often forgotten within the, within the planning. And I've been guilty of it myself. But the more we involve coaches and sport-related people the, in the rehab process, the more I've seen players emotionally invested in, in sticking to plans um, than if we silo them and segregate them from, from the full training squad and, and the coaches. So... I'm I'm curious what the what the sort of like the exit state of your initial training as an SNC coach looks like in terms of you know what does the development look like and does do educational sort of education systems now and pathways do they teach you to be able to function in this collaborative and progressive way or is it a steep learning curve when you kind of leave your your foundation yeah. training? Yeah, if we if we look at I guess strength and conditioning coaches. Um, there's different routes, right? You could you can do an underpinning sports science related or physiology related degree and and go and get your CSCS, right? Which is very limited if if any um, focus towards rehabilitation. And that process itself, that education route, is a um, specific learning information and being able to recite it and understand its application with anything that's whether it's rehab or not anything that's multidisciplinary in in nature is, is is human in nature there's emotion to deal with there's context there's pressure um there's constraints there's something you know it's an ecologically dynamic environment and that's really hard in it whether it's physiotherapy or strength conditioning it's a really hard thing to learn other than gaining experience and that's why i think everybody wants experience you know on top of your underpinning knowledge where do I see it done really well is in formal education routes that create reflective practice or create scenarios or have case studies or do role play, you know? And for the, those listening, you know, how many people are being put through role play scenarios of, okay, this athlete is coming to you with this frustration. They're challenging you about this. You know, what is your response? How do you respond in that way? Is it that you resist them? strongly with your communication is it that you try and collaborate and say what what do you think can work for you is it that you negotiate and influence is it that you yield yeah there's loads of different contexts here and solutions but what there isn't <laughs> which is counterproductive to formal education is there isn't a specifically right answer it's all going to be dependent on the context in front of you and that's why if we go back to that original question of where practitioners struggle is that those who struggle have the least experience that has 
rehab specific context around it <laughs> and therefore their rehab application suffers um and so yeah that's that's i think the downfall of, of, of education is it's an underpinning foundational approach for practitioners and practitioners have a choice throughout that learning do i go and learn how to apply this and observe how to how it's being applied observing you know volunteering etc or do i just deal with it and learn as i go when the opportunity arises or when somebody gets injured <laughs> and that's you can't predict when that's going to happen and what type of injuries there'll be so it's an interesting place to to operate you know I think the um, the physio and physical therapy space is almost on those points the, the the opposite because I think when you go through this incredibly broad healthcare, not athlete focused education, first and foremost, you you end up on clinical rotations where whether you're working with a geriatric population, an outpatient population, doesn't matter what it is, you're you're very often dealing with people in pain that are disgruntled, stress. Um, so you, I think you naturally in your in your in your training, it, what's baked in is this exposure to conflict, um, being challenged. There's a lot of that just not naturally weaved in, but it just occurs. Um, but what you don't get, which you obviously then do get with the strength and conditioning courses, is you don't get a focus on athletes and how you work with athletes. So I think you get some quite, I think you should get some quite good psychosocial uh, education, conflict resolution uh, experience in the process. But you leave this pathway and if you want to work with athletes you've then got to figure out what the next step is because you your, your program isn't focused on working with athletes and if you're lucky it covers um a little bit of sports med in the mm. process but i think you, yeah. you leave with this um this drought of, of sports experience which you then have to get afterwards so it's quite yeah. i think on those points it's the opposite yeah and i guess that just shows the need and necessity for collaboration and working together like i need your experiences from that perspective and you need my experiences of working with athletes day in day out who are fit because the reference point is that i might have an appreciation of what normal is on return to sport which is going to be really useful for decision making in the rehab process and if that is that um you know, I understand that somebody needs to tolerate three to four times body weight on a single leg stance when full full sprinting. That's really good context for you to have to understand like what loads should be put through the body of the athlete in that mid stage before handover. Um, equally, you know, I've had situations where physios or therapists have have, have perceived that doing you know. 60k on a single leg step up is sufficient but the context is that this individual was doing 120 for the same reps pre-injury and actually we should probably be looking to do in excess of that to, to truly prepare them so those contexts are really really important at both ends of the spectrum the best practitioners you know for myself as a strength and conditioning coach i was absolutely not obsessed, but it really interested in finding out the why. You know, why is it that we have to restore, you know, range of motion first? But not because I was challenging, because I wanted to learn what the priorities were for the physio so that I could understand what was counterproductive if I was, you know, having, uh, if I was doing things outside the gym that were uh, counterproductive in any way. Um, and equally, the physios that 
would be involved with me and watching gym sessions at the uh, return to sport end of the of the coin as such. Yeah, we we just had a real respect for each other's industry or uh, we'll call it lane, you know, silo as such, but that we were never operating in separate separate uh, identities at any point. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a stark contrast, and I think it's probably even worse for for the strength conditioning side of things because we are only dealing with the fit player. Every textbook out there is geared towards uh, stimulus and adaptation for the fit athlete. <laughs> there's and there's you know academic research is is pulled on fully functional, fully fit people mostly, and there's a lot of rehab work there, but it's either done on fully fit people and transferred conceptually to rehab or it's case study orientated, you know, which is smaller sample sizes and smaller numbers of academic papers. So it's, um, we need each other in this situation to, to have an effective rehab for sure. I think that the, the sort of textbook and academic look at rehab as well has been, um, how things correlate with pain as if pain is the only thing that is simply always relevant in terms of like, you know, can you, should you squat with your back flexed? Does it need to be a certain angle position? And um, there's this obsession with uh, with pain, but not looking at, hey, if we look at these top performers at this one athletic task, there's a bandwidth and a similarity in how they move and function. There's There's less of that look of like, what do the top performers of this skill or movement do? But more you know is this okay to do it this way or that way as it only relates to pain i think it gets a bit stuck in that cavern sometimes yeah i think it's yeah what's we think about learning things in technical models right and what is competent technical model and what what do we what should we be looking for um but actually i think yeah looking at what the athletes are capable of especially pre-injury and using that as a guide from a, a functional output point of view, but but also yeah, not jumping to conclusions that it, you know has to be uh, an absence of pain, for example, through loading. That's one thing I mentioned recently on an email I sent out was um, you know the pain threshold element of rehab. And if you've got, I've been in situations where practitioners have looking at like we need an absence of pain complete absence of pain before we can progress and it's just we know that there's a stress needed to create a specific adaptation and actually there's a pain threshold can be really useful for that um a really low pain threshold but an acceptance and a bandwidth that we can operate in but sometimes practitioners will operate in this black and white space and and the human body is like not like that. Not everybody looks the same. Not everyone is made up in the same dimensions, and not everyone has the same force producing capabilities. So, the ability for practitioners to think on their feet and problem solve is so critical. Um, but I'll be honest, I've always been better at problem solving when I can share ideas and bounce ideas off each other. Um, and sometimes, because we feel like we have a, a responsibility to an athlete because it's rehab and I'm the physio or it's end stage and I'm the S&C, that sometimes we might not sense check our ideas. And I've seen people slip up there because they've been afraid to bounce their ideas off one another as well. I think sometimes as well, like the athletes themselves can surprise you on this where, and I, I guess not two novel examples. I remember a few years ago, I had my, uh, I had an appendectomy, I had my appendix taken out and 
at the same time that I had it done. I can't remember who the player was, but there was a professional rugby league player in the UK who also had an appendectomy around the same couple of days. And a couple of weeks later, I'm still, you know, complaining and making noises when I get out of a car. And this player was in their last season in like a cup winning game, pivotal moment in their career. One of the last games they're ever going to play professional sport. And they had this kind of glorified cellophane wrap tightly wound around their waist and abdomen so that they could play professional rugby league, which is, in, which is I think, firstly nuts. <laughs> but if you had said to that athlete, the whole pain thing, the, the pain wasn't mm. a problem for them. They just wanted to play and be safe and mm. be able to play regardless of discomfort. Um, and then I think you've got players here that, uh, you know, novel example again is there's a Jason Kelsey, one of the Eagles players in the NFL, has just had an Amazon documentary and he... it. it it highlights quite a lot of just how much pain he is constantly in from a long career at the NFL and, and how he's going to kind of drag himself through a season of pain because he wants one more shot at the Super Bowl. So I think even sometimes you can focus on these sort of things, but you, you do have to make sure, does it even align with what the athlete cares about right now? Because pain-free loading, pain-free performance, that, that might actually not be their priority depending on where they're at in their career at yeah. the same time. If, if we go back to education as well, we, education is 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 a reference point for what's not not negligent. We know it it works broadly in this area, and we know that not doing this is not useful. You know, so loading is useful to get an adaptive change. We can't just not do anything. The body the body can heal, but beyond that, it's it's going to heal to a certain capacity. You take, I think, is it Aaron Rodgers? Is that the Achilles at the minute? Who's the Achilles NFL case? That's a prime example, whether or not we, we, the context is, is right. But he's back, he's, he's active, throwing a ball very quickly after his Achilles rupture. There's reports that he's using you know, BFR early in the rehab stage, very, very early. Now, there'll be textbook situations that say, oh, you've got to let wound healing occur first. Okay, but actually, you know, it's just a case of showing what's possible with really um, confident decisions around a strategy, what is potentially possible. Um, And nothing probably in his rehab has been negligent. All it's done is, is applied the principles that we know around rehab and adaptation. It's just changed the frequency, the density, and how early it's occurred. And lo and behold, that individual has a better response. Um, there'll be the opposite as well, though, right? Where individuals will take far longer to heal and there'll be bigger problems along the way or they'll have setbacks. And that's why it's really important to have sort of agile solutions. And I guess as we get back to the, the sort of rehab mentorship that we're doing, a key feature in that is going to be is, is objectifying the process setting clear reference points so that you can either move past that reference point as a say an exit criteria or you have something that's not an emotional opinion from a practitioner that a player feels they're being held back you know these reference points between practitioner and athlete are going to be really important Um, but they can also give you confidence to move an athlete on or reason to not progress an athlete um so I'm sure that's been happening in that case, uh, in all of those cases, that there's been you know, clear rationale for decisions based on the objectivity and the subjectivity of information as opposed to being negligent. I don't think any of that would, would really have been happening. So, I think you also get from the athlete in question as well, you're more likely to get buy-in and 
adherence and, and probably like very deliberate effort, whether it's in the gym, treatment room, whatever, if you if you've divorced emotion and time because you've got this objective and principle based rung, you know, ladder of, that has set rungs that you've got to meet as a criteria rather than a timeline, then it just shifts the focus to it's not when it's not you know how long until I'm ready. It's you're ready when you're ready when you can do this. Focus on this next step. Um, so I, I think it, it gets better effort at the same time. Hundred uh, percent. Just to elaborate on that. If we go back again to where practitioners suffer through, I guess, in their, within practice or fall down is to do that effectively, to do everything you've just said around managing expectation and setting out a clear plan of action. You have to start at the end point. So you need to know what time frame these injuries typically recover from. You'll, you need to know what the demands are at the end of their rehab, what do they have to endure before they can safely return to sport. For you to set clear criteria and, and, and uh, reference points for athletes to understand and have their expectation managed, both in the, we can progress you if you're accelerating, but also if you can't achieve these things, it will take longer. But that takes experience. The textbook is just a guide. And so... Um, Unless you're sharing rehab scenarios, dive, diving into case studies, um, unless you're in the process of working with rehab athletes day in, day out, or over the course of your career, you're getting regular exposure. Your ability to make decisions and manage the athlete in the same sense and keep everything moving forward, irrespective of, of whether there's a stall or a plateau for the athlete, is... It, 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 it's an art, right? I know we talk about coaching being an art, but there's an art to this. Um, but experience really, really helps people, you know, with that side of of the decision making. I think I can, and I, I can relate to this in myself when I've worked as a strength coach or as a physio at the earlier experiences in, in each, where I think not having as much experience or confidence in what I'm doing and being at the beginning of those two professions, less objective, less principle based. When you're kind of finding your feet, you the risk is you you try to amuse the athlete in rehab or in a training program um, more than you need to. You know, you the athlete's feedback of "I like this exercise, I don't like this" starts to hold, I think, too much weight. Versus, if you're more principle based, you've got more experience. You're more principle based. You're more objective, and you can be more criteria based in why the training plan, the rehab, whatever is what it is you can then with confidence and experience say you need to be able to X, Y, and Z for your sport. And to do that is why we're working on these things. And I think a, when you've got a better reason, athletes will do things that they don't enjoy as much uh, anyway. But I think you can kind of hold your own and say, this is the process that we have to do. And I'm not going to fluctuate it in all these different ways because I've got confidence that we're doing this for, for this purpose. So I think it it makes it easier to say that, but I think it also is easier to get the athlete to to comply happily with with the plan rather than if you don't have that and they don't like it, I think you're more likely to bend your your plan and process for them. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you've just illustrated that concept again around clarity on principles, reason for doing things, and and that you know, whether or not it's rehab or whether it's just program athletic program design is having this outcome led approach to to the design of what you, whatever you decide. And actually there may be freedom to move. So if, you, if you're trying to improve single leg strength, 
you know you could give an athlete a choice of the exercise if it still allows us to elicit the intensity of work that we do but if they prefer to do uh, a single leg arabesque rdl and actually you're trying to build strength capacity we're going to have to stabilize that we might actually be better on a machine or we might be better in a split stance educating them that's on that is is really important but again educating ourselves as practitioners to why we're very uh, strict on this specific principle makes those conversations far easier than just saying well it's because i've said so we need to do it (laughs) you know no athlete buys into it because you told me to do it um but they can buy into the reason why it will help them and that's another element of, of, of decision making is is understanding behavior and understanding an individual uh, putting yourself in the athlete's shoes and how you present the information and how you package the information and, and how you make them maybe you just check for their understanding maybe you ask for their permission you know i've planned these exercises is that okay could be the difference between them effectively doing it or resisting you because they feel like they're being dictated to There's so many little nuances on the human side of rehab as well I think how you package why you're doing what you're doing with them or why the exercise you're doing or the dose, whatever you're doing is what it is. Um, I think it's critical as well because by and large, I think most of the time during a rehab case, the exercise that you're doing is a real challenge for the athlete. They're, they're, you're probably not getting as much benefits from the things that they're naturally just really good at or very well developed at. You're, you're very often doing the you're working on their weaker areas so there is a challenge and it, it may be the exercises that they're not enjoying doing that are exactly what they need so you, you almost have to sort of entice them into eating their vegetables as a bit of an analogy i think um i think one of the things i'd love to ask you about is um when you've worked with practitioners or you've been at different teams consulting or involved in them in-house is there kind of key systems or ways of organizing staff to get people on the same page? Because it's we can sort of uh, theorize and say why all this stuff's important in terms of being on the same page, planning together. But is there any low-hanging fruits, really practical, simple things that people can do that facilitate that and get it started? Yeah, I think that the the best specific to rehab and the processes and systems in, in that sense, it's it's getting everybody on board quite early in a shared space um, who ha- who is a stakeholder in the process at any point from injury through to return to sport and that everybody can hear the same information. I think that's really, really important. If you've got a physio talking to an athlete or a physical trainer, athletic trainer talking to an athlete and having a conversation about that rehab, and me as a strength and conditioning coach, the sport coach not being in that in that environment or not hearing that information firsthand the same way that an athlete does opens up a performance team to interpretation and assumption, which is a really difficult place to operate in and show consistency in decision-making and consistency in the reason why we're making a decision in this way. Because... And at that point, the, the, the physio or the medical member of staff is the key decision maker, is the key stakeholder with the athlete. But myself, the, the um, maybe the mental skills coach, the sport coach, you know, a sports scientist, all those individuals are still stakeholders in the whole process and, and important pieces of the puzzle for the athlete. But if we're not hearing that it's going to be, uh, you know, a usual injury 
of this nature is around 12 weeks, but because of these complications, we might have to stretch to 16. The danger is the athlete hears 12, says 12 to me, says 12 to the, the, the coach. Coach's perception is at 12. Or the, the coach thinks, the athlete thinks it's 12 because the physio says it's 12. And actually, that's not what the physio said at all. They managed the expectation really well. They just didn't manage the expectation of the whole team very well. And those things can really get out of hand. So that's the first thing for me is that before any, you know, deadlines or timelines are put in place is to have a, a multidisciplinary team meeting that makes sure everybody hears that really critical early information in the right way, just to hold each other consistently accountable. And both ways as well, you know, from athlete up and, and, and us down to, to athlete. So that's the first thing. And then that there's um, clear communication of, of, of key themes and key phases and that everybody is updated and, and, and continues to be informed. And so, again, the best rehab journeys I've been on have been where we've had you know, weekly catch-ups. You know, we used to do for the Rugby Sevens, we'd have a, a, a weekly injury catch-up with the uh, staff and just making sure we knew where people were and on track, but equally with the player as well every two uh, or three weeks because there might be a lot, going on that we don't recognize from the athlete's perspective that might be limiting their progression. And some prime examples, practical examples would be they're not feeling part of the overall culture. And something as simple as the coach asking a, that rehab player in rehab, who's maybe got nine months out with an ACL, to start doing some video analysis for the players and presenting what they're seeing from their training back to their teammates I've seen that work really, really well in terms of them feeling part of the process and feeling part of the team. Even decisions around, like, do we think this athlete would benefit more from doing their rehab sessions at the same time as the athletes doing their gym sessions? Or is that actually more destructive for them because they see how much people who are fully fit are lifting and that it puts them at a, a disadvantage? You know, considering all these things comes from, you know, a shared contribution along the journey. So I think it's those are the processes that I would really hang my hat on are meetings that include everybody to plan along the way. Um, and then in terms of S&C and, and physio, who are obviously much more front-facing with the athletes through this journey, is about clear goals of phases and I, I've, we've spoken about this again as part of the, the the principles we're going to bring into the rehab mentorship is is that too often we're focusing on language that's too clinical like early mid and late stage one stage two stage three when actually let's get back to reality and and and, and be really clear about what we mean in our culture with regards to that specific phase for me, you know, within the Astros and, and within Sevens, I would reference restoration is that stage one, then physical development in stage two, and then physical transfer in stage three. And actually a fourth stage of retention, retain those qualities that are important to keep you in the sport, which we often forget. Well, that language is very easy for you to, and me to talk about because if we're not restoring things in that first phase, we're being counterproductive. And if the athlete is thinking about developing things before they're restoring things, that's counterproductive. We've got some accountability to the real purpose of what we're doing and when we're doing it. 
So as much as that's my framework, I think that's really important for any culture or group of practitioners to understand the purpose of distinct phases of a rehab process um, so that it's subjectively held accountable in terms of the fact that, okay, my prescription here matches the, the main priority for this rehab there and that it's not anti-performance in nature. So those are conceptual things, conceptual, conceptual systems as such or processes, uh, I think, are pivotal for success in this area. And we were talking, you know, off air before this conversation about how when you, when you have those, um, let's call them like a three-stage system because different teams and people will probably have similar systems but label them differently. It will yep. mean the same thing but just have a different title. Yep. I think you can, we, we were talking before about how even within that three-tier system, you can have, say, physical adaptations or objectives that transcend two phases, you know, like strength as a, as a prime example. You, you may not be able to do strength during uh, restore on, a, on the injured tissue, but you're still going to be working on strength in that phase. But you may just specify that if it's a hamstring injury, maybe in that early phase, that strength is in calf and quad. You know, and I think you, can, you, you almost need that simple system that you can then build out into more complex, nuanced ones for the injuries yeah. in front of you. Yeah, right. and, and, and that's probably where we don't do enough of this work at the front end in organizations as practitioners because we're not we'd, our focus isn't on preparing unfit players like our focus is generally on preparing the team of fit players and unfortunately athletes become an afterthought who are in rehab and but if we get ahead of the curve and go okay what are the performance problems we had last year with regards to rehab okay it was confusion on what the purpose of each phase was it was that some of my work counteracted some of your work or that I think there was an opportunity for earlier loading in calf and, and groin and quad whilst we offloaded the hamstring in this phase of restoration. Uh, could we have done more? Okay, well, by having that proactive uh, planning in place, we should be able to come up with really clearly defined uh, transitions through rehab and what the purpose of each one means and what it means for decision making okay so one of the things in restore might be you know chase strength in 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 non-injured areas like maximize it or maximize strength adaptations in in non-injured uh, tissues whereas in development it's going to be about very local injury specific strength development um and then obviously in the in the transition end it might be you know sport specific strength you know, in this side of things. So if we can be really clear about the characterization of, of, you know, the types of things we should be chasing in those phases, that can really help us. Um, but again, without that lack of, without that clarity on the onset, it's really difficult for practitioners to be um, singing off the same hymn sheet and, and making the same decisions for the same reasons. On that point in the past, have you ever, um, turn to the athletes that you're rehabbing as a team and ask them if they can, and not in a condescending way, but ask them, can they in some way repeat back to you their understanding of the plan as, as a, maybe a metric, your team's messaging on it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Maybe, well, ask them to recite back their expectation. It's really useful because if an athlete can voice back their expectation, you're checking for expectation against reality <laughs> because sometimes people hear what they want to hear. If we use that 12 and 16 week example, it's like, Andy, this is a 12 week injury normally, but 
with these complications and that added component of the meniscus or whatever, we this is, is likely to be more of a 16-week injury, I'm afraid. Well, as an athlete, you're honing on to 12 weeks straight away, aren't you? And, uh, that, and as the recipient of that message. But if I ask you to recite that back and you say, well, look, yeah, you said this is a 12-week injury. I should be back, hopefully, in 12 weeks. No, no. 12 weeks is what's normal, but don't be misguided by that. It's much more likely to be 16 weeks, I'm afraid. We'll do our best, but, you know, it's much more likely to be 16. Do you understand? And uh, in that sense, yeah, that's really useful because, again, we can go back to remember what we spoke about last week or three weeks ago. You, know, you said you understood this. Don't put unfair pressure on yourself because you're going to re-injure or you're going to set yourself further back than 16 weeks. So that's a really useful thing to, to do um but yeah if an athlete can understand the key phases and, and and what you've planned out for them i think that just demonstrates that you've done an effective job of communicating that to them yeah i think, I think you can break down those conversations through yeah. the process as well can't through you phases, small yeah. times, like water 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 cooler conversations yeah. where you can say you know what, what's your interpretation of when you'll be ready when do you think you'll be ready when do you how do you interpret when we think you'll be ready and you can just see uh, you know yeah. does their view align with the the, the the professional view when they'll be ready yeah and on the flip the proactive side of that as well right cool monday morning how you been how, how you feeling cool all right what are our priorities this this week what do what do, I, what do you think i need you to do this week based on what we've done last week or what we discussed last week because that returning to run element is quite daunting sometimes for athletes and sometimes them turning up and being told that they're running today can be the thing that goes oh okay now i don't feel quite right and there's apprehension so these sort of like pre-performance planned conversations are very very useful also for getting the best out of athletes on a given day based on especially with an amplitude of intensity of volume or complexity of task um and again sometimes we just forget these things and the human becomes an afterthought because we're we should be so focused on principle and adaptation of course but with what about interpretation <laughs> you know um, perception you know those things as well and i think those are the best practitioners who think about the clear principles but also how it translates at the athlete level and in terms of them being the you know you know it's athlete centered after all it should be yeah and we'll, we'll obviously touch upon this a lot in the uh, rehab simplified pathway but i think it's there's so many nuances and complexities to this i think it's it, it's almost impossible to do a good job of a rehab unless you've got clear strategy on how you're being organized and your principles up front like we like you've been saying a lot through this conversation because it's just it's too many things to to digest and think about all at once otherwise but. yeah 100 percent. and you know, if we come back to what what the mentorship's going to do it's going to bring 20 practitioners from strength conditioning sports science and physiotherapy together and, and athletic training and physical therapy you know that's a cohort we've got at the minute and with still spaces available for others to jump in but the, we go back to that question around the sort of limitations with some education routes is that you miss the perspective that others can give you when you have a, a group-based uh, reflective immersive discussion and so a lot of our work is going to be about okay what do we do in this situation or what problems have you faced and that that will enhance people's ability to make decisions about their rehab because they're hearing stories and experiences from other people. The fact that we've got 20 other people in a, in a group learning environment gives me 20 different perspectives that might just help guide my decision-making for an area of rehab that I have not thought about before. 
um, and actually prevent a problem ever happening because I've got the strategy in place already. Uh, whether it's a decision around program design, exercise selection, or how we verbalize and communicate to the athlete in that situation. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to bring sort of like all the, the sort of frustrations that I see in this space and the problems that practitioners are facing just through it being really difficult, difficult to experience this work um, by bringing groups of individuals together in this group mentorship manner to, to facilitate you know, real-world learning. I'm, I'm very aware of time for this conversation today and uh, as is the tradition of all episodes I'd always ask people to say where people can find them on social media but uh, if I turn that question to you but also um, uh, tell them where they can find the pathway as well. Yeah so the the website that I operate from is the www.collaboratesports.com and if you go through the personal development tab you'll see uh, a, a specific page dedicated to Rehab Simplified where you'll see uh, Andy yourself will be, there's a little video of yourself on there and a little bit of a, a dialogue of what, what, why we're involved, but also the pathway structure. You can download an e-guide as to the specific um, program content where we go through reverse engineering injury, um, looking at tissue uh, loading strategies, looking at using data to objectify the process and case studies, etc. It's all on there. And if people are interested in being part of that journey with us, all they have to do is is either sign up to meet me online to discuss it or they can just register direct through the website. Uh, all the details are there. Cool. Well, it's been, it's been good to get you back on. It's exciting to put this together with you as well. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. Awesome. Thanks for having me.